Welcome to the Siskiyou Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. All right, so Psalm 86 is a pretty sweet psalm. It really is. It's a psalm of David, and it's known as uh, the prayer of David. And uh, as we read through it, you know, there might be certain portions of the psalm you're like, wait a second, I've kind of heard that idea. I've heard that concept before. That expression seems familiar. And that's for a good reason. A lot of the uh, verses in Psalm 86, they are expressions that we've heard before because they're of Psalm, or because they're of King David. He wrote this psalm. And so there's lots of things that he expresses over and over again, these truths that we need to, to take in. And, you know... Again, that's one of the interesting things that I love about the Bible is the repetition. You know, I'm a guy in the real world. I'm not a big fan of repetition. I'm like, all right, we've done it. I'm bored. Let's move on. But with spiritual things, especially the promises of the Lord, man, there's something about those truths that I need to be reminded of over and over and over again. And Psalm 86 is filled with those uh, reminders uh, of those really elementary uh, truths in Christianity. And so... Uh, The whole premise of this psalm, you know, King David is in trouble, and he's crying out to the Lord uh, for help. And his cry for deliverance, his cry uh, for the Lord to strengthen him in his hour of need, uh, is really based on God's goodness. It's based on uh, God's forgiveness, the fact that God is incomparable. He's such a good God. And, And that's another thing that we need to be reminded of. That's another thing that I love is that when we go to the Lord, when we petition him as his children and say, Lord, please help, it's not based upon our own merits, but it's based upon the Lord and his goodness. And that is something that King David gets and understands. And so as we make our way through this psalm, uh, you know, David, he uses the, the word Adonai uh, th- or seven times, which means master. And really, David is is going before the Lord, crying out to the Lord for help based on God's goodness, based on God's forgiveness, not according to his own uh, merits. And that's because David recognizes that God is God and that he is not. And there's a great deal of humility that David has as he goes before the Lord. And so uh, this is a really special psalm. I really enjoyed studying through it, and I hope we enjoy studying through it together tonight. And so verse 1, uh, we'll jump right in. Verse 1 of Psalm 86. Uh, Bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me. Sound familiar? See what I did? See, we sang this psalm before we started so I could get it in your head. Uh, and it's a good way. I just, when I read it, actually, I couldn't get the song out of my head. So you were, you were stuck with it, whether you liked it or not. So bow down your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. And so David opens up this psalm, this prayer, by saying, Lord, bow down your ear 
and hear me. Lord, lean down from heaven and, and hear the cry of my heart. David, again, recognizing, man, that God is holy, that God is great, and that in order to hear, he needs to bend down, bow down his ear uh, to the earth to hear what David would say, to hear the cry of his heart. But the Lord does that, doesn't he? Not just for King David, but for us also. The Lord hears our cry. The Lord hears our prayer. Now think about that for just a minute. That God hears your prayer and my prayer, our prayers individually. That is almost inconceivable. When you take a look at all of creation, you can look through a, a telescope as far out as you can almost imagine with the new James Webb telescope. Have you guys seen the pictures that that thing is producing? Crazy. Before that, we had the Hubble telescope, and that was amazing also. But you look out into just the depths of space, into what from our naked eye looks like nothing but blackness for is forever. And what do you see? Magnificence. Beauty. It's so amazing. Uh, step away from the telescope and look into the microscope, and that seems like uh, almost an infinite universe. It just keeps going and going and just little myopic into a subatomic level. You say, wow, look at this. was made with artistry and beauty and with purpose, and the creator of all of that has time to hear from little old me and little old you. And he doesn't get our prayers mixed up. He doesn't get weary. He's not like, oh, what do you want again? The Lord, he hears our prayers. He hears us when we pray to him. Why? Because he cares, because he loves us, because he desires a relationship with you and me. You know, our kids, you know, they love to spend time with us as parents. They do. There's a, the old saying. It goes, you know, how do you spell love to a child? T-I-M-E, right? By spending time with them. And my children have all, Daddy, can we do this? Daddy, hey, watch this. Do you guys have any kids that are like, Dad, watch this. Mom, watch this. Hey, watch this. I got to show you something. They just want to hang out and play Legos and wrestle and have a dad day. They just want to be uh, with you. And when we really love our kids, man, we make time to hang out with them. And see, we have a heavenly father who loves it when we say, hey, Lord, watch this. Hey, God, check this out. This is what's going on in my life. Lord, would you, would you hear my cry? The Lord loves to spend time with his kids. He loves that we can enter into his presence through the vehicle of prayer and hang out with him. That's the desire of his heart is to, to spend time uh, with us through prayer. What an amazing thing. Not only that he hears us, but he desires to spend time with us through that prayer because he loves us and cares from us. Not from us, he cares for us. Uh, also, uh, we can go to the Lord anytime we want. And bow down your ear, Lord, and, and hear me. And he does. When? Whenever we pray. We don't have to make an appointment. We don't have to wait until the stars are aligned just right. You know, if I were God, I would set up something just like crazy and mystical, like, all right, when the moon is here and Venus is there, then there's this open line of communication and my, you know, creation can talk to me. God's like, anytime you want. It doesn't matter if you're mowing the lawn or you're on the can or you're whatever you're doing, you can come before me and you can pour your heart out to me. Don't lie, you guys pray when you're on the toilet, right? No, I'm not the only one. 
But we can come before the Lord at any time, day or night, in thanksgiving or in crisis, with the little things or with the big things. And by the way, remember, there are no big things for the Lord. Right? For us, we're like, oh man, how are we going to do this, Lord? I, I, I can see how you helped me find my keys, but this is a biggie. There's no such thing as a biggie to the Lord. All things are little uh, for him. Uh, Jesus, he taught his disciples and us to pray. He taught his disciples how to pray. There in uh, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this. He said, when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you even ask him. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. And so Jesus, he knew how important it was for us to pray. See, that's the thing. It's amazing that God hears us. It's amazing that he loves us. It's amazing that we can go to him anytime with things big or small, but it's important that we do. And it's so important that Jesus said, here, let me show you how easy it is. Let me show you how this works. It's not about being seen. It's not about being heard. It's not about using big, fancy words. It's not about any of that. It's not about, you know, forming your sentences in just the right way that God approves. He already knows what you have need of before you even ask. But it's about going before him. When your children come to you and make petition and ask you of things or, or talk things over with you, and really, I mean, some of you homeschool moms might disagree, but... Uh, you know, generally, you're not correcting their grammar when they're, they're talking. You're just like, oh, cool, my kids are, you know, the Lord, we just have to communicate. He knows our hearts uh, already. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray because it's important. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember, the night before Jesus was crucified, what did he tell his disciples? Watch and pray. Why? Because the hour of temptation is at hand. Watch and pray because temptation is coming. There's this connection between being prayed up and having victory over temptation. Jesus talked about it in the garden, and Peter and the boys disregarded it, and they fell into temptation. It's interesting. Prayer is super important. Man, the Lord hears us. He's available anytime. He desires for us to do it. He taught us how to do it, and we're to do it without ceasing, according to 1 Thessalonians 5 that we are to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of uh, God in Christ Jesus for you. To pray without ceasing. Well, how am I supposed to pray without ceasing? I'd never get anything done. I'd just be in my room praying all day on my knees. My mortgage would be in default. My grass would be overgrown. My dogs would need to be... What? No, we just stay connected. We don't need to be in that posture of prayer without ceasing. But we can be connected to the Lord all day. And you guys know what that's like, to just be going throughout your day, staying connected with the Lord about the things that you're going through, the things that present themselves, the lost keys and 
the situations and the, all of it. You just be connected to the Lord in prayer throughout the day. And why? Because it works. Man, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James 5, 16. We talk about that all the time. That prayer, it works. When we pray, things happen. Things change. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting. Uh, I have been watching some prayers really be answered in our congregation. A lot of you have been sharing with me lately your stories about how there have been things you've just been praying. Lord, would you please help with this? Lord, would you please answer this prayer? Would you help out in the situation? And, and hearts are being changed. Lives are being changed. Things, circumstances are being changed. Corporately, things that we've been praying about for this body as uh, elders, things that you guys have been praying for this body, things are, are moving. They're shifting. It's interesting. Uh, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth. It, it, when we pray, things change, and when we don't, they don't. Uh, but again, prayer is not about bending the Lord to do our will, but it's about bringing our lives under submission to God's will. Because oftentimes, our circumstances don't change. Sometimes it's not God's will to change our circumstances, but it's more important for the Lord to change our hearts and come in line with what's going on. But either way, prayer is effective at changing hearts. It's effective at changing things. And so it's crazy. The creator of all things, boy, he bends his ear to hear us because he loves us and desires to spend time with us in that way. We can come to him night and day for any reason whatsoever. Jesus taught us how to pray. We're to pray continually without ceasing. When we do pray, things change, and yet, so often, it's the thing we neglect to do. Like, guilty, for real. I'll be struggling through something, and the brothers will come in and be like, hey, what's going on? Have you prayed? <clears throat> no, I haven't prayed. And I pray, why do we make it a last resort as opposed to leading off with prayer. Uh, man, I'll tell you what, when I do, I'm glad that I did. And I would encourage you too. So David really starts out this prayer by saying, Lord, bow down your ear and hear me. And what a wonderful thing it is that we know that the creator of all things, he does hear us. David says, Lord, hear me because I am poor and needy. And I like that. David here. He, he takes the, the proper posture with the Lord. He says, Lord, I am poor and needy. David didn't go to the Lord and say, Lord, you're lucky to have me. Here's a couple things we need to talk about. He didn't boss the Lord around. He, he didn't command the Lord to do anything. He went to the Lord with hands empty and arms open, recognizing that, man, he needed the Lord, recognizing that the Lord was in control and that he was in God's hands. And see, we can get to this place, and you know, there are some believers that, that fall into this trap of demanding things from the Lord, the name it and claim it crowd, to say, Lord, I demand that you would do this, I claim this in the name of Jesus, I'm going to, and you know, to me, I just don't see that in scripture, this idea where we are bossing the Lord around and saying, you know, this is what I'm claiming, this is what you will do. And I understand even when we claim God's promises, well, I'm claiming God's promise. But, but imagine if your children treated you in that manner. Imagine if your, your little boy walked up to you, like, I have an agreement with my kids. They know I'm going to feed them. 
They know I'm going to clothe them and buy them things and, and, you know, put a roof over their head. But imagine, imagine if your children came up to you and just said, I demand that you feed me. I'm claiming that you feed me right now. I demand, I'm, I'm claiming the promise of a, of, of a nice bedroom, and I demand it right now. You'd be like, hmm, someone needs to sleep in a tent for a little while. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so it's not that those promises aren't real, but we're to approach the Lord with reverence, with respect. And we demand things. See, so David here, he says, oh, Lord, I, I, I'm coming before you, and I'm recognizing that I'm poor and needy. I need you, Lord. And on Sunday, uh, over at Kidder Creek, if you guys were there, uh, you'll know that we did an overview of the book of Daniel. You guys should be proud of me. I went through 12 chapters in less than an hour. Very few rabbit trails. Uh, Self-control, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you what. I claimed it. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't. I just asked the Lord to help. Uh, but we did this overview of the book of Daniel. And chapters 3 and 6, they contain the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And then Daniel in the lion's den. Both stories, really, of submission to God's will, right? In both cases, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they said, Lord, whatever your will is, even if I go through the fire, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to bow down. Same thing with Daniel. Even if I get thrown to the lions, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to bow down to the idols. It, it was this. They recognized their need for the Lord. They were submitted to the Lord. The interesting thing about Daniel is sandwiched in between chapters 3 and 6 are chapters 4 and 5, which are uh, stories that illustrate exactly the opposite, they're stories of two kings, Nebuchadnezzar and his son Belshazzar, and how they were filled with pride and they were stubborn. And in chapter 4, we see uh, the vision that, Belsh or that Nebuchadnezzar has, the giant tree that goes up to the heavens. It's chopped down by an angelic being. And the meaning behind that dream was you need to humble yourself before the Lord. Uh, his son, Belshazzar, having the vision of the writing of the wall, uh, mene, mene, tekel, upharsin, which means, you know, uh, your days are number, you've been weighed, and the Medo-Persian Empire is going to come take you out. But they were both warned, you need to humble yourself, or the, I'm going to humble you, basically, the Lord says. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't humble himself, and he was a wild animal for seven years. He repented, and he was restored. Uh, his son, Belshazzar, same thing. He did not repent. He was full of pride, and... He was assassinated the very night the, the writing was, was on the wall. So we have these examples of, of what it looks like to be humble before the Lord, empty-handed, submitted, and these examples of what it looks like to be proud and self-reliant. See, the, the opposite of saying, Lord, I'm poor and needy, is to say, Lord, I, I'm basically uh, self-reliant and uh, self-satisfied. And here in church, you say, oh, but the truth of the matter is, in our carnal nature, that is our default setting, is to be self-reliant, to rely on ourselves and not the Lord. And it's a real problem in the Christian life, to rely on our own understanding, to rely on our own efforts and our own talents. It was a problem in the early church, and it's a problem today. The early church, they, they, they dealt with this, and Jesus had something to say on the matter there in Revelation chapter 3. Uh, in verse 14, uh, to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Remember, Jesus uh, wrote letters to all these different churches, churches representing the actual churches in that region during that time, but also 
representing the different church ages. I wouldn't die on that hill. There are some things that are a little out of place, but overall, you can kind of apply that. But we can apply the lessons to all those churches to ourselves. And the, the lesson to the Laodiceans, Jesus says, these things, says the aim in the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, description of who Jesus is. He says to this church, the Laodiceans, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, I have become wealthy, I have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. So Jesus warns of this attitude, right? Especially in our day and age, it's so easy to be self-reliant. When's the last time any of us said or prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, please, would would you give me some food to eat today? Or would you make sure that, you know, the enemies don't come in and, harm my family, or we're just in a very comfortable situation. Now, I don't wish that we were starving or overrun by enemies. Don't get me wrong. But we're to be reliant on the Lord, even like we're in that situation. Does that make sense? And uh, David here, boy, he really understands. He says, man, Lord, I am poor and needy. And that is the posture we're to have before the Lord. Uh, We don't demand anything. We don't command the Lord to do. We don't try to line his will up with ours. But we simply, uh, we simply come before him in need. Uh, Preserve my soul, for I am holy, David says. And so you say, you know, even when I was singing that, you know, that was the word, preserve my soul, for I am holy. I, I naturally want to say, like, preserve my soul, for you are holy. Like, to call myself holy. And David called himself holy. He says, Lord, preserve my soul, for I am holy. So you're like, wait a second. Does David say, God, you owe me because I've been good? I mean, let's just kind of review the footage, shall we, right, of David's life. David says, I am holy. Uh, I would throw out the red flag. I challenge that, bro. (laughs) Uh, We've got a little bit of lying that you did there when you were on the run from Saul. You lied to the priest, Ahimelech, and 85 priests were killed. Uh, You... You kind of chickened out and took refuge in the camp of the enemy. Uh, later on in life, you were chilling at the palace instead of fighting with your men at war. You had an affair with a woman. You killed her husband to cover up the fact that you impregnated her. You'd be like, oh, that dude is holy. You'd be like, hmm, I don't know. So how is it that David could say that he is holy? Holy means faithful. It means kind, godly saintly. And so how could David, a man who clearly was not perfect, claim that he was holy? And there's this interesting thing. Uh, You know, we are in David's shoes, right? Do you know that we're holy? Do you know that God calls us saints? Sometimes we say of ourselves, you know, we're just a bunch of sinners. No, we were a bunch of sinners. You know, the Bible doesn't call us sinners in the New Testament. The Bible calls us saints. So how is that? Because positionally, we are saints. Positionally, we are in Christ Jesus. Positionally, 
We are perfect. See, we are, are, are perfect per, uh, we are perfect positionally. We are in Christ Jesus. We're robed in his righteousness. Our sins were scarlet, but they've been washed white as snow. Uh, so we are in the Lord. So positionally, because we're in Jesus, we're perfect. But we are not just positionally perfect, but we are progressively being perfected. See, it's this thing where we have been sanctified. Sanctified means being set apart. We've been set apart for the Lord, but sanctified means more than just being set apart. It means that you're being set apart. Currently, we're being perfected, uh, progressive perfection. Right? When we say we're perfect positionally, that's great, but we know that we're not perfect. Man, there are things that the Lord is working into us and working out of us. It's sanctification. It's a lifelong process. That's a bummer. I, it would be so nice if I could just be done with this sinful body, and someday we will be. But right now, it's a process, and we can look in the rearview mirror, and we can say, oh, Lord, you're doing a work in my life. He said that he will complete the work that he began in us. It, it, it's this uh, process. But not only are we... Uh, positionally uh, perfect and progressively being perfected, we uh, have the promise of perfection. Like someday, we're going to be perfect. The Bible says that we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know and uh, just as I am known. Someday we're going to be perfect. Uh, Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus will deliver us to the Father uh, spotless without blemish. So positionally, even now, you're perfect because you're robed in Jesus. Progressively, you're becoming more and more like him through the work of sanctification, through the Holy Spirit, because Jesus is going to finish the work that he started in you. And there's the promise of perfection that the Lord is going to see you to the Father. That's pretty awesome. And so that's how David can say, Lord, uh, preserve my soul, for I'm holy. It's because of what you've done, not because of what I've done. Lord, save your servant who trusts in you. Think about that statement for a second. Again, uh, David uses that term uh, over and over again, Adonai, in this uh, prayer, which means master. Now he calls himself servant. David is the king. David doesn't answer to anybody. So he says, Lord, I am your servant. He knew that he belonged to the Lord. He knew that the Lord owned him. And that's what servant means. To be a bond servant. Paul used that term uh, a lot, doulos, in the Greek. It, it means to be a slave. It means to be owned. That you belong to uh, another individual. The Hebrew word for bond servant is abed. And it has a similar connotation that you are in, in servitude. But abed has with it uh, this uh, allowment for an indentured servant to become uh, a bond servant voluntarily. That it, at the end of your term, whatever. And, you know, it, it, when you think of slavery, right, we have a, a history of bad slavery in our nation. Uh, the Bible calls that man-stealing, and that is punishable by death. So when people say, oh, the Bible is pro-slavery, that's ridiculous. The Bible condemns that type of slavery. But there was in their culture, if you racked up your credit card, and you're like, whoops, can't pay. They're like, oh, yes, you can. You're going to work that off. Remember back in the day if you went to a restaurant and ate and you forgot your wallet? They're like, no problem. You can wash dishes. Anybody ever get in that situation? Me either. I'm not sure if that's even real. I don't know. But that was the way it was. You couldn't just, like, default on your debt. 
That's the way it was. Back in the day, if you charged up stuff and you couldn't pay for it, they said, no problem. You can work it off. It was a good deal. Well, anyways, at the end of that term, if you wanted to stay with your master, if the servant said, you know, I love my master, my wife and my children, we don't want to go anywhere, uh, they were allowed to stay with the master. And they would take an awl, and they would put your earlobe against the doorpost, and they'd push, and they'd give you an earring. It was the coolest fashion statement then, I guess, too. And it was an indication, I am a servant to my master by choice. And that's the idea. Right? We aren't forced to be servants to Jesus. Nobody forced us to become Christians. No, we're bondservants by choice. We say, Lord, I want to belong to you. Where else would we go? Remember when Jesus talked about eating his body and blood before the, the crowd of his disciples and everybody bailed? They're like, this is too weird. I'm not going to eat Jesus' body and blood. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you going to go too? He's like, Lord, where else would I go? And that's, and that's the idea. Lord, where else would I want to be? Being a bondservant of the Lord, belonging to Jesus, being his servant, it's not drudgery. It, it, it's, it's wonderful. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. David here, he says, Lord, you're the king of my life. I'm your servant. You own me. And so the question for us is, who's the king of our life? Like, who's the king of your life? Finances or uh, occupation or marriage or career or whatever? Are you on the throne or is God on the throne of your life? It's a good question for us to ask. And, uh, you know, Bob Dylan said, uh, I know, who thought Bob Dylan would be quoted in church? But he gets quoted a lot for this one because this is a good one. You probably know what I'm going to say. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that's reality, right? You're owned by somebody. You might like to think that you're your own man, but you're either owned by the devil or you're owned by the Lord. And let me tell you something. It's good to be owned by Jesus. He's a good master. And so uh, are you owned by the world or are you owned by Jesus? For you, O Lord, are good, David goes on to say. And man, isn't the Lord good? Even as we sang, even in the midst of circumstances that we don't understand, and the Lord is so good. He's in control, and, and, and he has a plan. How do we know? How do we know that the Lord is good? When you're going through an absolute difficult situation, you say, man, Lord, I know you're good, but this doesn't feel very good. How do we know that the Lord is good? We can look back. We always have a reference point, not only of past times that he's delivered us, but the reference point of the cross. We can always look back to the cross and say, Lord, you're good. I know you're good. When you have that doubt, you can look and, and know that the Lord is good through the, the cross. And then the part that I love, this is like the heart of this psalm, even though it's just uh, verse 5. But he is ready to forgive. He's plenteous in mercy. The Lord is ready to forgive. The Lord wants to forgive us. He desires to forgive us. He longs to restore. He died the death of a criminal on a Roman cross. He endured the wrath of God so that he could forgive us. He, he, he wants to forgive you. He, proved, he did everything he could to forgive us. If I said, man, I really want to do this thing, and I wanted to do it so bad that I laid down my life, you'd be like, whoa, Pastor Jeremy really wanted to do that thing. Right? Jesus laid down his life that he might forgive us. He wants to forgive. He's ready to forgive. Yet we get this idea of God as sitting up in heaven, arms crossed, brow furrowed, just grumpy look on his face, saying, I don't know. 
if I should forgive you or not. Again, really, you, I mean, but the Lord is ready to forgive. That is not God's posture to us when we come to him for forgiveness. His posture towards us is, is more really demonstrated in the story of the prodigal son. Remember, he, he, he took his father's inheritance early, broke his father's heart, went to the city, partied it all away, found himself working for another man, feeding pigs, which for a Jewish boy was like the lowest of the low. And he got to the place to where the pig slop looked delicious. He said, oh, man, my father's servants eat better than this. Maybe if I go home, I could just serve my dad as one of his hired hands. And he went home, and there was his father looking for him, first of all. And when he spotted him running down the robe, lifting up his, I guess he didn't wear a dress, but his robe thing, and, and, and hugged his son. Like, come on, through a party. That's how the Lord feels when we repent of our sin and turn towards him. There's rejoicing. That's God's heart. He is ready to forgive. The bigger question is, are we ready to repent? See, that's the key. Are we really ready to let go of our sin? Because something that I want to point out is that the prodigal son did not keep a weekend address in the city. He wasn't like, oh, I'm coming home, Dad, but I'm going to keep this place over here. So when I want to go back and party sometimes, I have that option too. He, he didn't keep a weekend address in the city. He left and he didn't return. He didn't look back. And so often I feel like sometimes we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, please forgive me. Save me from this thing that's destroying me while we're holding on to that thing with a death grip. The Lord says, no, repent. Turn from that thing and turn towards the Lord. That's what repentance means, to turn from sin, turn towards the Lord. You say, man, it's hard. I'm stuck. Do it in faith. See, that's the thing. You take the first step, the Lord meets you the rest of the way. Do it in faith. Turn first, then the strength comes. Man, the Lord is ready to forgive. Be ready to repent and turn from your sins. To all who call on him, uh, forgiveness is available to all. Uh, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord uh, shall be saved, it says. Verse 6. Holy smokes, is it really? I got seven minutes, and I'm going to keep my promise, folks. Uh, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplication. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer uh, me. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall become, uh, shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. So in the day of my trouble, uh, I will call upon the Lord. In the day of your trouble. Man, when things are going crazy, who do we call upon? Do we call upon the Lord or do we call upon our own resources? Man, I hope we're calling upon the Lord. Uh, then uh, David's here, he, he gets into this, among the gods there is none like you, O God. All nations uh, uh, whom you have made shall come and worship you and uh, so David, he talks about how the Lord is greater than any other God that there is. Uh, and so we talk about that. Is there other gods? Uh, what does this talk about other gods? Well, there are other false gods, and, and that's the key, false. Like the gods that they dealt with uh, back then, Molech and Asherah and Mammon and, and all of these different 
idols that they worship that really, if you think about what they represent, are alive and well today. Ashtoreth being the god, goddess of sensuality and sexuality. I mean, pornography is a $91 billion industry. The way that we treat sex in our culture is abhorrent to the Lord. Molech, they would worship their children upon the red-hot burning uh, arms of this idol in, in the name of convenience. Uh, you know, we are celebrating abortion in our country and picketing for our right to murder our children under the guise of, well, what about these, you know, really fringe cases of rape and incest and all this? Do you know the overwhelming number one reason why people have abortions, why women have abortions in our country is because that pregnancy was inconvenient, exactly like Moloch. Mammon, money, same thing. They're alive and well, but they're false gods. That's the thing. There's only one true and living God. Isaiah 45, 5, I am the Lord. There is no other uh, God besides me. Uh, all nations will worship the Lord. See, here's the thing. False gods, yeah, there's false idols, but even they will bow and they will be judged by the true and living God. Verse 11, teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O my Lord. God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy towards me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Uh, teach me your way, and I will walk in your truth. So there's a popular saying today, and that is, live your truth. You hear that? Lots of people, oh, you just live your truth. And, and there is no such thing as your truth or my truth. I want you to know that tonight. There is truth and that's it the idea of your truth and my truth is called moral relativism and it is absolutely bankrupt what's right for you is right for you and what's right for me is right for me that's trash and it's under that ideology that all sorts of wickedness is applauded today it's under that ideology that mentally ill uh, men with just disorders dance in front of children. We call them drag queens. And then we applaud that. We say, oh, yeah, isn't that great? You, you just, you live your truth, man. No, there is only one truth. And remember, when we start to scramble truth, we end up applauding all sorts of wickedness, and it gets really dicey, and that's what's going on right now. Uh, as a result, we, we praise the wickedness instead of the Lord. Uh, and so uh, truth is not relative uh, we are to reverence and to praise and uh, really fear the Lord is, is what that says. And in these last few verses, and I'm skipping over a lot, but that's just the way that it goes. We'll make our way through this. Oh, God, the proud have risen against me, and a mob of violent men have sought my life and have not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and truth. Oh, turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. And so this, these last few verses, again, David, he looks to the Lord and said, Lord, because of your goodness, because there's no other God like you, because you're uh, ready to forgive and you're abundant in mercy, because you hear us and love us, Lord, would you strengthen me in this situation. And, you know, we don't really know what was going on in David's life. Lots of commentators try to pin it down, and it always boils down to a couple. 
different instances in David's life. Oh, this is when he was running from King Saul. Or this is when he was running from his son Absalom. But here's the thing. It may be a completely unknown situation in David's life. We don't know. What we do know is that life gets dicey sometimes. But no matter what that situation is, and Jesus said it would happen, and in this world, there will be trouble. You'll face tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. No matter what's going on in your life, we can, like David, look back and say, Lord, we're going to come before you based upon your goodness, upon your mercy, upon your righteousness, based on your magnificence and not my own works, because you're good and you're God and you're ready to forgive. And we can go before the Lord and ask him to strengthen us in those moments. And like David, man, we can be confident that the Lord is near to us and that he's got a plan and that he's in control. Amen? So, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this psalm, Lord. Thank you for the reality that you are ready to forgive. Lord, that your mercy is abundant. Lord, we don't deserve to be forgiven. Lord, what we deserve is to be punished. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And we just praise you for that, Lord. Thank you that you know our frame. Thank you that when we blow it, you don't throw us away but Lord, that you give us opportunity to repent and turn towards you. And I pray that we would be a people, Lord, who are quick to repent, to turn from our sin, that we wouldn't be foolish in trying to live in two worlds at the same time. Lord, that we wouldn't have one foot in the world and one foot in your kingdom and wonder why we're miserable, Lord, but that we would be all in for you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we praise you, Lord, that you're always near to us. And even when things are difficult, you're on the throne and you've got a plan. That You're good and we can trust you. And help us to be mindful of that as we go our way, Lord. Uh, bless us. Keep us safe. Uh, keep us far from temptation. And shepherd us, Lord, as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.